gracious and present God. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may these ancient words become good news. For those of us gathered here today, each carrying our own burden or worry, may this good news speak into our lives, give us hope and love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So for the first three weeks of November, we're going to be focusing on aspects of gratitude. And, um, you know, because it's Thanksgiving month, uh, in case you forgot. Uh, and then, of course, that fourth week of uh, November is the first Sunday in Advent. Uh, but today, we're going to be exploring the relationship between gratitude and grief, or gratitude and loss, or worry, anxiety. And I'm going to read um, two passages. One, you've heard lots of it today, this morning, in our call to worship. And I'm going to read it again. Psalm 100. The Psalms, um, it, for those of you who don't know the Psalms, that word literally means song, song of praise. That's what they are. It's a book of songs. And... Um, this Psalm 100 is one of the most well-known, probably, thanksgiving psalm. Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into God's presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is God who made us. And we are God's people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter God's gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to God. Bless God's name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And then a passage from uh, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica and a passage similar to it uh, to, his, to the church in Philippi. To the Philippians, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And to the Thessalonians, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When I first arrived in Georgia, I was called by the Northeast Georgia Presbytery to plant a church. There were no members, there were no people. It was just like an idea. Uh, and so I had no beloved congregation and I floated around Northeast Georgia to preach and to tell the other churches in our presbytery about this new church getting started. I had preached one Sunday in Milledgeville, Georgia. And on Wednesday, a note arrived in my office. No return address was not signed. And the note said this. I almost didn't come to church on Sunday. 
because lately I'm always on the verge of tears. I just wanted you to know that I felt better when I left. I sat at my desk and felt such a deep sadness. I wondered, is she crying alone today? Is he? I wonder even now about that person. Where did grief take them? I've since discovered in 23 years of ordained ministry that there have been many occasions when someone comes into my office and confesses, the reason you haven't seen me in worship is because I've been down, I've been struggling. I'm always afraid I might cry if I come to church. This summer, I was at Montreat. I honestly can't remember if I've already told you all this, so if I can't, maybe you won't remember it either. I had a real-time survey going on with the youth. I, I was there for two weeks, two separate groups of people. And I asked some questions, and they would do on their phone, and then the bar graph would come up. And the first question I asked was, how many of your close friends belong to a faith community or a church? The first week, the line was really big on almost all. The answers were like almost all, some, almost none. And that was interesting. That told me something about that crowd. The second week, the bar graph on almost none was really high. But here's the really interesting thing. The next question was this. If you or one of your friends were in distress, how likely would you be to turn to the church for help? Both weeks. Very unlikely. That makes me really sad. Why wouldn't we turn to one another? I wonder, I wonder if part of the reason for that, and we should do a class or something, we can talk a lot about why that is, but I've wondered if part of the reason for that isn't somehow related to a misunderstanding, a taking out of context, a, a, a wrong and twisted interpretation of some of the verses we have read this morning. The coffee cup, the refrigerator magnet, give thanks all the time. Does that make people think I'm not supposed to come to church when I'm carrying a burden? Sing, serve the Lord with gladness, says the psalmist. But, but what about when things are not going well? What about the burden I'm carrying that you're thinking about? What about the state of the world? What about, what about, what about? I mean, are these verses just simply kind of um, the biblical version, the ancient version of um, 
don't worry, be happy. Remember that? Don't worry, be happy. Are they just trite platitudes? Is this the good news for one in five adults in our country who are suffering from severe anxiety? Is it the good news for 71% of 9 to 18-year-olds who say they cannot stop worrying about their life? And 67% of them say they hide their worry from others. Is this the good news? Oh, don't worry, be happy. Rejoice always. Is that the spirit of these words, of these passages? No. 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 A thousand times no. Listen, the Psalms are hymns of praise. That is true. And many of them call us to rejoice and give thanks and be joyful, serve with gladness. But 70% of the Psalms are laments. They are the psalmist naming the real struggles of being human naming grief and pain and loss. Paul, who says rejoice always, let us not think that he's got his head in the sand. Paul speaks in all of his letters and to the Philippians and the, the Thessalonians about internal conflicts, about oppressive leadership, about the threat of being persecuted. He himself is in jail when he's writing this and awaiting his destiny, which might very well be, as far as he knows, a death sentence. So this is no trite platitude. He doesn't deny these realities. There is something to these passages when read in context that has substance for our lives and for the grief or the burden that you are carrying, or the ones you will someday. The biblical narrative does not deny the pain inherent in being human. In fact, the prophets have harsh words for those who say, peace, peace, when there really is no peace. But all of that is another sermon. <laughs> Today I want to talk about this. What does gratitude have to do with us foraging our way as individuals and as a community and as a nation and in this world towards healing and wholeness? What does gratitude have to do with that? What does gratitude have to do with how we hold our grief? What do we make of these verses? First, I just want to say, grief and gratitude are not mutually exclusive. Both and. Paul tells us, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. 
but in them. Sometimes I feel funny talking about grief because I don't know the, the, the burdens you are carrying. I know the various losses I've had, and I have a tendency, and maybe you do too, and I always urge people not to, to kind of minimize mine because they're not as bad as other people. But let me tell you who has taught me the most about the relationship between gratitude and grief. It's those who have suffered deeply. One of my most memorable pastoral visits was to a woman I had not known uh, very well. I really only knew of her. I had just arrived at the church and, did, and she'd been sick. And what I learned was that Cynthia had lost her father to ALS and then a husband to ALS. I mean, if any of you know that there's, that is a suffering, horrible disease. She lost a son. And then she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I was going over to meet her, to pass to her, to be present with her. And I was so heavy-hearted what kind of presence do I bring? What, what do I say? What, you know, just all the things you just... And I was stunned because during my visit, I lost count of how many times Cynthia said, grateful. She told me about her friends, many of them fellow church members, who had walked through all of those losses with her and even brought her joy and comfort. They had been right alongside her, and they were alongside her now. I remember getting back in my car and just weeping. Because I learned something that day about grief and gratitude. Many of you remember Steve Hayner. I was on the board at Columbia Seminary. He was the president. He was like active, athletic, healthy. And one Easter, he didn't feel well. <clears throat> Again, many of you probably walked through this with him. But he and his wife, Cheryl, uh, walked through his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and his subsequent death. And I had saved one of his posts. I don't know if it was on Caring Bridge, or it might have been a letter to the um, trustees. Today's conversation with the doctor, he says, suggests that I might have longer to enjoy this life than we were originally expecting. I may indeed get to participate in another Christmas. I may get to see our house remodeling project completed. But whether I do or not is clearly not the point. I don't get to choose the finish line, but I can choose how I will run this portion of the race and whether I am willing to sing the song that God has placed in my heart this day. I can choose how I will interact with both God and those people who line my path. I can choose gratitude 
My most important choices have little to do with my cancer treatment plan, but they have a lot to do with my heart and my humanity. This is what Elie Wiesel discovered. If you know Elie Wiesel, he was a Holocaust survivor. He lost many of his family. He was in a concentration camp. For 10 years, he did not speak of the suffering and the pain he endured. And then he wrote a small book called Night. <clears throat> he was being interviewed by someone who asked him, after all the tragedy you've witnessed, do you still have a place inside for gratefulness? Absolutely, he said. Right after the war, I went around telling people, thank you just for living, for being human. And to this day, the words that come most frequently from my lips are thank you. When a person doesn't have gratitude, something is missing in their humanity. For me, every hour is grace. And I feel gratitude in my heart each time I can just meet someone and look at their smile. This is also what John Claypool discovered. I'm just sharing with you the people who have taught me about the relationship between gratitude and grief. John Claypool was an Episcopal priest whose collections of sermons was called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. He preached this series of sermons when his 10-year-old daughter, Laura Lou, was diagnosed with leukemia. In them, he tells the story that he could not abide people who kind of had the attitude of, it's not right to question anything. Don't question God, don't question anything. But he also couldn't, he didn't help when people came with, you know, a, a good answer for everything. He said, the way I made it through my grief was the way of gratitude. Gratitude, he says, does not alleviate the pain, but it somehow puts light around the darkness and creates strength to go on. When I am grieving, I hope you will remind me, he says again and again, that life is a gift, every particle of it. And the way to handle a gift is to be grateful. The truth is, for every one of us, there is no avoiding the trauma of loss if we love even a little. This is why the task of learning to handle grief is so important. The patterns we develop early in our relation to little griefs will affect how we react when the trauma of bereavement comes upon us. No matter what the form of grief, we can become richer and deeper human beings. On the banner that the kids made for me on the first Sunday I was here, it's hanging in my office. I invite you to come look at it, it's great. They all wrote little poems and things. And this was one. 
I don't know who wrote it. Pam, through the pain, no, through the rain and in your pain, we love you, Pam, and with no shame. <laughs> That's the church. B.T. Harmon is a podcaster who I listened to recently. He serves on the board of Beloved Atlanta, and he talks about the fact that when he began to practice what he called habitual gratitude, everything changed for me. He says, I'm not talking about the recreational use of gratitude, like here and there. I'm talking about habituating myself to gratitude. So I ask you to talk this week with each other, with me, email me, with the other pastors, the other people on staff. What are your habits of gratitude? Do you have any? Can you learn any? Harmon says this, as you work through your pain, leave some room for gratitude. And the God of heaven and the laws of neuroscience which incidentally, the research on gratitude practices is out of this world in terms of the benefits. As you work through your pain, leave room for gratitude and know that the God of heaven and the laws of neuroscience will conspire to heal you. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come to this table, we come grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.